What is up, my boo things? I cannot even begin to explain how excited I am to finally be bringing you, well, the podcast, but also episode one of Taboo Topics, my dream podcast. I am Rebecca Thomas. Um, I am, I guess, the host. That sounds so weird. Oh my gosh, it's so surreal. Epi one. I knew, obviously, because it's Taboo Topics, that I was going to be talking about some hard things um, across the board. What I did not necessarily think about was how vulnerable I would have to be as a person. Now, vulnerability is not my strength. So already this podcast has challenged me to kind of get out of that comfort zone and be more vulnerable with all of you. And frankly, I'm actually super excited about that. My guest today is a really good friend of mine. His name is Ryan Donathan. I met him, oh gosh, in October, November of 2018. He had worked at the university I was working at in the exact same position, but like six years prior. And I was going through a rough time the following spring, and he was just a really good asset for me, and we just became really, really good friends. Um, We navigate a whole lot of different topics. And that includes depression, suicidal ideations we touch on, um, these really weird depressive fantasies, and it gets kind of twisted, which is why it's my first episode, because it's messed up and it's, it's taboo. I don't know what you want me to say. Um, and then we really just talk about the everyday life of having depression and what that looks like, navigating dating. Um, just letting yourself, you know, be happy. It, we really get into it. Um, but those will serve as our triggers for the episode as well. If you are uncomfortable with any of those topics, please go at your own pace. You know what you can handle. Um, and I, I just want you to take care of yourself, you know? So, but yeah, without further ado, um, I'm so stoked to bring you episode one of Taboo Topics. Um, okay. Well, so I know when I initially reached out, I think the topics that you mentioned was like depression, anxiety, please stop me or correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Was there more to that or were those the kind of the... Yeah, I mean, it was, it, there was in college and like we can definitely get into it. I don't mind talking about it. It's not Perfect. too much. That's the there, whole point there, of this yeah, podcast. There was a point in time where I didn't do anything, but I was contemplating different ways of taking my life. Sure. Uh, okay. And so it, it, like I said, it never got to, but like, I always use the, there's a couple examples. Like I remember thinking back to like, I have a headache, but I didn't even keep so much as Tylenol or ibuprofen in my room because I didn't trust myself. And I don't even know if you can technically OD on Tylenol, but I was afraid my dumbass would like get to a point where I would try. I never even kept so much as a butter knife. I had like plastic forks. You know what I mean? Like I didn't have, I did, a, I didn't like to drive anywhere. I made sure that either I had someone in the car with me so I wouldn't do something stupid behind the wheel or I would like walk or ride a bike. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so it you got, took those that measures, was, but yeah, okay. that, um, that was like the, 
that was like the peak of the shittiness, or I should say, probably I was like the bottom. That was the that was the lowest that I that it all. Got. I understand. Like, I understand. Um, the valley. I've I've valley. always dealt with. Um, usually, what I end up doing is I end up like it ends up manifesting in terms of like a lot of like procrastination. Like I end up getting so paralyzed by the amount of things that need to get done, or the amount of like a lot of I've I've found that a lot of the stuff that ends up like the reason I like routine so much is that I get such like debilitating stress and anxiety related to getting things done that if I feel like I'm buried, I end up just being like, there's too much. It'll never get done. I'm just going to zone out into a video game or a movie or a stupid fucking game on my phone. Some, you know what I mean? Like I, I do. So like, that's, I, I, I've, as I've gotten older, I've found out I've been better able to articulate what really trips me and, and sets me off. And it's usually, like if I deviate from some kind of routine, the wheels fall off because I'm such a creature of habit. You just yeah. described my life. Like, I yeah. don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think I had dishes, like my kitchen was covered in dishes and stuff Yeah. for quite a while because it just seemed so daunting. And then other yes. things piled up and I was like, well, that's it. I give up. Everything ends up piling on. And it's always, and I feel like, it's a good and bad. It sucks that so many people deal with it, but the good news is we're definitely not alone because the number of people who I have found can relate to that. Because it's oftentimes like right now, my birthday is in December. I haven't gotten my new car tags. It's July 1. Yes, this episode was actually recorded six months ago. And if you read anything about my post, my mental health really kind of took a turn. And. <laughs> Ironically, I haven't gotten around to it until now because of depression. Because I got buried under like, I got to get my taxes done. I got to get a bunch of this paperwork done. I was moving, but all these things. And I'm like, I just remembered it earlier. I was like, I still never got my frigging car registration. I don't have tags for my car at the moment. So like, it, it takes two minutes to fill out that form and send it in. But like that piled on with a bunch of this other random stuff and I just shut down and, and then I forgot about it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad I'm not the only one that was very like getting my car registered. Oh, that's so dumb. I think technically today was like the, like you had to have it done by July 1. That was the extended grace period. Now they can theoretically ticket or tow. Hey, listen, <laughs> so, we all have our things. Like. And it, but it's just, but and then it, and it's just so funny too, because it's like, you know how this, this stuff kind of seems to come and go. It's like, it comes and goes in waves. And so when you're feeling good and clear headed, you're like, dude, quit being such an asshole. Like, it's not that hard. Just go take one thing at a time, take little baby bites and it's going to be fine. Yeah. And then that all sounds well and good until I'm not doing okay. And I'm in a rougher place and it feels like every single thing is just like, I've got like lead feet and I just cannot take those little baby steps anymore. And it's so stupid. It's so frustrating. Um, oh my gosh. I, <laughs> I totally relate. Cause I, have you ever heard like, you know, if it takes you five minutes to do something, just get it done. And then like, right. yeah, just take that five minutes and then do whatever. And I know this and I tell myself this and I never do it. And then I get mad at myself. Cause I'm like, it's literally five minutes of your day. Like you spend a stupid amount of time on social media, you know, yeah. just like, I spend more time mindless. scrolling Twitter on the toilet. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, like on a exactly. daily basis. Like, not hard. <laughs> so, yeah, and I give myself a really hard time for it, but, like, depression's, like, one of those really, like, fickle things. All right, so here's just some facts and statistics about anxiety and depression, specifically in America. 
Sorry, all of my, like, foreign friends. I'm not trying to leave you out, but this is what I got. So, general anxiety disorder affects 6.8 million adults in America, which is 3.1% of the population. Only 43% of those people are actually receiving treatment for it, and women are twice as likely to have it over men, which I thought was kind of interesting and I have theories about. Uh, Major depressive disorder, which I feel we touch on this episode a lot more than anxiety, it affects more than 16.1 million American adults, or about 6.7% of the U.S. population. It also says, though, major depressive disorder can develop at any age. The median age is 32.5 years old. I'm slowly coming up to that number. I don't know. Uh, Also more prevalent in women rather than men, but again, I have theories about it. It might have to do something with the pressures women put on themselves and societal beauty standards and whatnot, but also the fact that men aren't supposed to talk about the fact that they have all these feelings. I don't know. Anyways, these statistics come at you from Anxiety and Depression Association of America. They also feel super low to me, but that's maybe because... I feel like everyone I know struggles with one or the other of these things. Maybe it's a millennial thing or a young people thing, but they seem low. Just me. Do you, so when did your journey start? Can we, can we start at the beginning? Yeah. So I feel like I've always had, I think back to like, I had a bunch of friends when we were kids. We're talking like, elementary middle school early high school like I had a lot of friends I played sports growing up I love sports to this day but I remember being so terrified of failing where if I was baseball or soccer or pick a pick it doesn't matter what the sport was I was so terrified of like failing in front of people that I ended up just wanting to stop which is a shame because I was so wrapped up in my own head not realizing that everybody else was also just as like we're excited to play the game but also just as nervous at times but I think that like my earliest memories feeling really, really, really stressed out were probably like late elementary, early middle school to the point where like, I didn't want to play like organized sports anymore, which is weird because I grew up as a massive sports junkie. I think things started to really take an uglier turn and instead of just being like sport related, um, you know, anxiety related things and and started to get kind of ugly and start thinking about the self-harm and suicide stuff probably around like late teens early 20s like 19 20 21 was probably when I started thinking about well like rather than dealing with the stress of this or that thing or dealing with anxiety this would be an easier way out or even it got to a point where and again like my rational brain knows that this is crazy but you would I would see things like like um, like a funeral scene in a movie. And, and I would almost like wish it was me because then people would say like nice things because I was so stressed out about feeling like a failure or thinking that I dropped the ball and people hated me that, well, at my funeral, people will be there and be sad and say nice things. And I almost started to wish for it. Um, and and I, it was, it's kind of started with that all the way through to the point where I was, you're making a face. Why are you making a face? <laughs> no, I just like, those are thoughts I've had. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, again, it's one of those sad things where I wish people didn't have to deal with it, but it's almost comforting knowing that I'm not the only one who's been there before. Like even to the point where like, I, I hoped I was like, maybe if I, this is so stupid to say out loud, 
I would for a while refuse to wear sunscreen. So I was like, well, maybe if I don't ever wear sunscreen outside, maybe I'll get cancer. And if I get cancer, then I'll have something to like rally around and fight for life. You know, like, again, this sounds absolutely bonkers, but these were things that I very much was, was, was doing and, and thinking. Um, and then it, it, like I said, it never got to a point where I, I didn't ever try anything, but I really did get to a point, like I said, in, in, towards the end of college where I didn't like to drive alone because all I would do is just think about speeding up and finding something big and heavier than my car to run into. Or, you know, again, I didn't keep any kind of medicine of any kind in my apartment or my room just because I didn't want to get low and, and, and do something. Um, so yeah, that, it, it stems, I can, I can trace it pretty, pretty far back, the, at least with the anxiety stuff. So kind of starting there, no worries, everyone. We definitely get back to the depressive fantasy part, the really messed up part of all of this whole conversation. Would you say that, like, I mean, as an adolescent experiencing those anxieties, would you say that that was, like, really isolating for you socially? Um, could you connect with people, things like that? Yeah, I think I definitely, I was kind of so... So I grew up in like the, in, in the suburbs around Cleveland, uh, you know, middle class, upper middle class area, like nice area. And I definitely, I was wearing like the preppy polos and, and, and stuff of like the peak, peak, uh, nineties preppy fashion. But on the inside, I was like angsty and dying. And I was, you know, listening to all the emo and screamo music that was that I, that frankly, I still listen to this day. Um, so like, I, I definitely, I had a couple friends, like really good friends in middle school and throughout high school, I, I was able to be social and, and I could, I could fake it, you know, when, when things were kind of ugly, I could kind of like fake it and get along. But yeah, there were definitely times where I was like, I gotta be the only one experiencing this. I was very much in my own head. And I think that's, that is a common experience. I mean, being in your, being a teenager is just hellacious in general, right? Your, your body's not done developing. Your brain is still like mush and hormones are raging. And so like, I, I don't pretty, I think textbook and common teen experiences. I think the, the, the feeling like, like the true isolation feeling like I was really, really alone. That was what really hit harder in college, like throughout elementary and, and, and middle school and high school, I still felt like, um, I don't think it was that ugly at that point. College is where that stuff really started to sink in. And I wonder, so this has nothing to do with you, but because I know, so I had depression really young, like I was suicidal at the age of 12. Yeah, yeah. go me. Wow. Um, and so I, I had a really hard time like finding people that more so understood that and I could connect with. And I always just held those people very close. In that time, I think that kids were just a little bit more innocent and full of joy. And I, today, I think it's a completely different story. I think, you know, the younger people, they have all of this access to the internet, social media, and just constant comparison games. And so I feel like it's far more common now than it might've been then. And it, that's like a speculation because we also talk about it a lot more now. So, you know, there's probably a lot of people like yourself, like me, who are just like being silent about it. But I definitely think that social media does not help now. Yeah, well, it's 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 a double-edged sword because, you know, you're right. On the one hand, I do think that there's been progress made in trying to reduce stigma around like 
the, you know, it's okay to not be okay sometimes and to talk about it. And, you know, I think that's a positive that if you're a young person, you could see like, Hey, older folks have been through this as well. And other people can relate and it can kind of get to me, but you're right. Like, like Twitter and Instagram, it, they can also be an absolute hellscape where people say whatever they want behind, you know, being anonymous or behind the keyboard or people post highly edited photos and, you know, can really just wreck a, a kid's, you know, confidence in, 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 you know, in body image issues and all those things. So yeah, it's, it's a massive double-edged sword. Um, you know what I think I did a lot of the time when I was, when I, when I was younger, like again, uh, middle school and high school was when I was feeling kind of particularly like down or, or whatever, I would hide in other people's problems. So I kind of like, like to fancy myself as like the Dr. Phil type of a group where I could ignore all my problems. If I was busy trying to be somebody else's, you know, shoulder to cry on or a rock for them. Um, I would neglect whatever garbage I was dealing with on the inside. And I would just push that and cram that down as far as I possibly could so that I could say, you know, Hey, I'm here for you when, you know, if I'm busy dealing with your problems, I don't have to worry about mine, at least for that little temporary period of time. And it's fleeting, uh, but it was almost like a, like a way for me to, you know, distract myself from my own crap. And I think, you know, part of that was also me just trying to be like hyper aware of, of people around me and their emotions. And if someone, if I, I could, I could maybe pick out if somebody, if you were feeling uncomfortable or, or awkward in a group, maybe I could like move my way over and be like, Hey, are you okay? What's going on? And that looks all nice and good and noble on the surface, but all it is is purely avoidant behavior on my part. I'm totally just sinking into whatever your crap is rather than actually trying to process and deal with my own. Oh man. You know, here's some backstory for listeners. Ryan and I became friends pretty fast. We didn't really, we met once before we started really like <laughs> yeah. talking. Um, he was helping me out with some work stuff and it, it just kind of developed. But like now this explains a lot because it's like I'm talking to myself. <laughs> Jeez, yeah. So now, because I know I kind of struggle with this and I'm curious, that kind of behavior, one, did it just continue on? Well, I mean, you worked in student affairs, but yep. do you find that you now also have like some boundary issues where you don't necessarily like focus on yourself and healing like yeah I, i'm i'm not proud of it but at 31 i am still crippled by the idea of someone not liking me or like i i feel this weird need to win approval in places and i like i don't want to say i i would never want to walk around through life just being an ass and and being just a jerk to everybody that i come across but i do find that the boundary setting issue is like well i gotta do x y and z otherwise somebody might not have the most favorable opinion of me. I'm like, dude, like you got, you got to live your own life and deal with your own crap. So I, I'm more aware of it. And I think I'm more, I'm better at recognizing when I'm like avoiding some of my own crap. Even if, if it's something as simple as I'm puttering around the apartment, trying to take care of something when, when in reality, I know I need to take care of like a work project or, you know, do something for myself all the way through, like I said, trying to distract myself by being there for somebody else. Um, I'm better at it than I used to be for sure. But yeah, those old habits definitely die hard. Like I said, <laughs> I feel like I'm talking to myself. But I think, you know, 
I found that just really being aware of this, just cognitively aware of these things really helps me. I mean, that's kind of the definition of cognitive behavioral therapy is recognizing these things and kind of challenging your own thoughts and your, your go-tos, like default mm-hmm. mode, if you will. And there's nothing wrong with that, being like an altruistic soul or whatnot, but it definitely like, it can definitely take a toll. And I mean, we all need to stop and figure out our issues. <laughs> Also, let me take this time to say therapy is good for everyone, which I know that you know. Yes, firm believer in that. And it's not necessarily that it doesn't, it doesn't have to be something that everybody does every single week for the rest of their life. But I do definitely think that um, at some point in time, everybody would benefit from speaking with a professional. Uh, I, will, I will die on that hill. I think everybody needs to talk to a pro at some point in time. I'll die on that hill mm-hmm. with you. And then people can say nice things at our funerals. <laughs> it's exactly right. It's exactly what it is. Uh, Just shower me with praise and things. Exactly. It's weird that you said that because sometimes, oh my God, I can't believe we're talking about this. It's taboo topics. And I feel like mm-hmm. a horrible person. You know, like when people go missing i'm a female that's something that happens but then you know everyone talks about how they were just such a light see like but if i died i wouldn't get to read those things if i was kidnapped maybe one day you know right yeah let's right. no let's, I mean, <laughs> let's get out of this kind of yeah no i know it's messed mean, up conversation yeah, it's, right now. It's, it's it's dark it's super dark but I, I can't pretend like I haven't had numerous different thoughts in my head about, you know, how many different possible ways could, could I kick the bucket and, and how would that lead to somebody saying nice, uh, something nice about me, you know? It's yeah. nuts, but that's where my brain went. So Ryan and I definitely talk more about this later, but I do just kind of want to say, like, we, we know that it's really messed up and I, especially I have now interviewed... Um, People for this podcast, I have a couple episodes that, you know, have a little bit of mortality and death, like, kind of weaved in there, and um, I, yeah, I feel insensitive, you know, having these thoughts and feelings, Um, and it's a really shameful thing for me to admit, like, that I'm, this is a thing, and I just think it's really important to understand that depression just takes such a toll that, you know, your rationality is just not what it should be. Um, for all my people out there that are actually battling anything, much love to you. You're way stronger than, you know, this odd desire to just, (sighs) yeah. Thanks, brain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you so, chemicals. I saw, I saw like a dumb meme where it's like your brain is like electric pudding. So like no wonder why things go wrong sometimes like or electric like mush or I don't know what it was, but, but it's true. It's a couple pounds of like jelly that has current running through it. You know what? Oh. Yeah. It makes sense that things misfire. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. That made me feel strangely better about myself. <laughs> We're all just these shells walking around with electric jelly in our in yeah, our skulls. Yeah. We're we're water in 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 flesh wrapped around a couple bones, all coordinated by electric jelly. <laughs> it's great. It's great. I want to put this on like a dating profile and see. Yeah, that, yes, that would it. definitely have people lining up. 
<laughs> oh my gosh, wouldn't it though? Wouldn't it though? Um, okay, so back to the kind of thing, um, the things. So I know a lot of people are different. Some people have like very specific reasons or like triggers as to why they're depressed. Some people, it's just like they have absolutely no idea. They just feel this way. So I'm curious, like, where do you fall on that spectrum? And then I have a follow-up question depending. Sure. So when I, I'm really lucky. So I was an RA in college and I kind of like RA'd myself. Um, you know, they, they teach you all like the red flags to look for in your students in terms of like, like behavior changes. So no longer doing things that typically brought you joy and changes in diet, whether it be not eating anymore or, you know, binging and eating too much, you know, all the different like things that like RAs are taught in terms of like, Hey, something might be up. And between that training and, uh, one of my, one of my best friends, still one of my best friends to this day, between him kind of being there for me, like, Hey man, like it might be worth talking to somebody between him and his encouragement, as well as the, you know, like I said, turning the RA lens inward. I was like, oh no, something's really wrong here. Initially, I thought it was all just because I was going through some rough stuff with a girl. We did some back and forth and it was not a really great relationship. We couldn't really commit to being together, but neither one of us could really commit to being apart. And so we pinballed back and forth. And it was very, very unhealthy. Talk about lack of boundaries. Holy crap. That's a whole that's a whole nother podcast, but different episode, uh, different episode. Right. Yeah. Different one for sure. But so that's kind of what I thought it was. So I go in to the counseling and wellness services and I went to Wright State University in Ohio, Dayton area. And I'm very lucky that they had a great program. And I go in for my intake appointment, fill out the paperwork. I sit down with a counselor and about 60 seconds into talking to this guy, it's just waterworks. I just lose it. And at the time, I just thought it all was because I was sad about a girl and then come to find out yeah, that was part of it for sure. But a lot of these, there was, of course, tons of underlying stuff that we kind of uncovered. And he ended up recommending a group therapy um, environment for me. And I was like, absolutely not. I want nothing to do with that. I just want to come in here. Because at this point in time, in my head, I was like, you're a shrink. I'm going to lay on the couch. I'm going to cry. I'm going to say some things. You're going to fix me and I'll see you later. He's like, yeah, okay. First of all, absolutely not how it works. Second of all, group therapy is going to be great for you because what do you do with your feelings? And like begrudging, I was like, I don't know. And goes, and why? I'm like, because I have to be perfect. He's like, why? And I'm like, I don't know why. He goes, that's why you need group. So that's kind of where it was. So like, I have this weird, like, I know a lot of it stems from like, I don't ever, for the longest time, I was so terrified of being a failure or not even being a failure, but looking like a failure. Things I could fail left and right, but as long as it all looked perfect, it didn't really matter. I didn't want to let my parents down. I didn't want to let my friends down. I wanted to be the cool guy. I was never the cool guy, but I always wanted to be, you know? And so I think that's where a lot of this stuff kind of started. And then uh, it all blew up when I was just going through a really stupid and, and bad kind of breakup situation. I think as I've gotten older, uh, I've definitely dropped that like facade of like, I am absolutely not perfect. I will, I will screw stuff up left and right. And that's okay. But I still think I've got moments where I, I, my pride will end up getting the best of me in, in, in instances. And I maybe fail to admit when I drop the ball as, as early as I could or should have, you know, just don't even reach out for help or assistance when, when I, maybe I should. So that's kind of, that's kind of, I think what it stems from. Um, and I'm sure probably all kinds of other things. There's always insulated or isolated, like one-off instances as well. Like that, that happens too. Like sometimes you just go through some, something terrible. Like, at one point in time, I went through a break. This was fast forward a few years. I went through a breakup. And then about three weeks later, my last grandparent passed away. And so like that just, that just kind of sent me into a tizzy. Um, 
the good news was I, I felt better equipped to handle it and it sucked. And I was able to say, Hey, I'm bummed and I'm upset right now, but I was able to like, not let it create a, a doom spiral where everything fell apart. So progress, you know what I mean? It's, 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 it's not always going to be perfect and pretty, but at least it was progress. Obviously, I think there's like, especially in our generation, there was a lot of pressure to, you know, grow up, be successful, go to college, you know, mm-hmm. our parents worked hard, so don't disappoint them, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously, you know, just being the cool kid is, is what I think every teenager wants. I don't know. I was a very weird one, but I was outwardly weird though. I think from your narrative, you kind of kept it together. Yeah. I kept a lot of my weird bottled up. But that's also bad too, because then it's like a bunch of like weird, weird, funky things start happening after that. Because you repress too much of that for too long, and then who knows? Then you <laughs> break out. You just start yeah. showing up places yeah. in like full cosplay. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, um, like, I'm a freak. No. <laughs> Which is yeah. Kind of fun well, sometimes I didn't mean to say yes to you're a freak. <laughs> I, it was more of a response, but I'm aware that yeah. it happened, and now it's in a podcast forever. Can I ask about? Obviously, I don't understand this complexity of it. Being a mm-hmm. male, I know mm-hmm. it's like there's a lot of other pressures that were never put on me as a female as far as like, you know, old-fashioned, but like being the breadwinner for your family, being successful, mm-hmm. um, but also, you know, not being able to express emotion. Crying is for losers. Um, right, some of that right. toxic masculinity stuff that's was the norm if you will how do you think if at all that either aided in your depression or just played a role oh it it definitely did now now the good news is like I'm extremely fortunate like my parents were awesome my parents were really great about like this pressure to be like perfect or always succeed it really didn't come from them the biggest thing that my folks were really uh, harping on was just whatever it is you're doing just give it your best and you'll know what that means. And so there was never pressure to be like, I had to win every single race or I had to win every game or whatever. My parents just said like, they had a rule growing up that at all points in time outside of school, I would always have two activities going on just because extracurriculars were important to them. So I was a boy scout growing up and then it was usually like a sport or an instrument and they didn't care what it was. It could have been any sport. It could have been an artistic thing. It could have been whatever. Again, they didn't care just do something and honestly commit to it. So the good news was I didn't have a ton of pressure coming from that. And especially like with regards to your question, like my dad was never like super macho guy who was afraid to show his feelings. I never really saw them fight as a kid. They had disagreements and they had like, they would, you know, go back and forth and debate and all that stuff in front of my brother and I, but it was never like crazy fights and they modeled really good behaviors. And you know, looking at some like old cliche stereotypes, like my dad did just as much cooking and cleaning as, as my mom did. So again, great examples in the home. I still think that though, the way, you know, our culture is, especially when we were growing up was, yeah, I was, I still absorbed a lot of that. You, you can't, boys don't cry and you have to be, you know, Mr. Macho and you need to have the big muscles. And I was always like a kind of a scrawnier kid. I was like smaller and I had a hard time putting on weight when I was younger um and so I I was always like I think self-conscious about like I'm not like a real man and I won't be able to be a real man if I don't get like big and strong and if I show any kind of weakness then that will inhibit my ability to do that which again as an adult I look back I'm like oh my god I spent so much time being so fixated on the aesthetic of 
having a little bit more muscle and meat on my bones or on, on the aesthetic of being flawless and perfect so that women would swoon whenever I walked by, you know, just dumb crap. Um, but do uh, women record, swoon now? No, no, nobody swoons. Ask, <laughs> no, I've, I've made no woman swoon. And if my, I luckily I have a fiance. Um, but uh, Whom I love I you do. Uh, and she loves if, you. If well. she wasn't engaged to you, I would swoop in. <laughs> I would not blame you. Um, and I don't, I don't know if she might, uh, I don't think I've ever made her swoon. Well, we'll do a follow-up. I'll, I'll text her. Be, hey babe, have I ever made you swoon? <laughs> I'll also I'll do a follow-up Probably in, not. <laughs> in case she doesn't feel comfortable giving you the truth. You better believe that I went and I texted his fiance. Um, her response was he does even when he's weird. And that, how sweet is that? Fair and enough. Yes. <laughs> you, you'll get, you'll get the real answer. Be like, yeah, sure, babe. Of course. All the time. Daily. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, I find it crazy. Like the things that we used to care about as teenagers Gosh. are like entirely different. Yeah. And it's so privileged to think that the world kind of sucks. And I wish I was more ignorant about the things going on. But that, yeah. I mean, first off, that's a very privileged thought that at one point I was able to be ignorant, you know, but yeah, as a teenager, I'm trying to think of the things I cared about. Marching band. Yeah. Um, I, I, I wanted to be cool in the eyes of people that I don't even know exist anymore. You know what I mean? I wanted to be liked by people that I didn't really even really care about or want to know or, um, and don't get me wrong, as much as I like to win when I play games and sports and things again, like nobody remembers what, what you won when you were 15, 16, 17 years old, but that, that doesn't really have any impact on the trajectory for the rest of my life. But it's what all, it was all consuming at the time had to be, had to be the best, had to win things, had to be impressive. It, it's tough. Cause on the one hand, I am who I am because of the things I went through and the way that I operated, but with a little bit more age and wisdom and maturity, looking back, I would have rather put way more emphasis on being kind and considerate and being thoughtful and, you know, trying harder. I was such a bum student. Like I got good grades, but usually just because like I was, I, again, I'm fortunate, like I could skate by and do well academically A's and B's with minimal effort. And I'm like, if I even gave a fraction of an effort into some things that truly matter in terms of learning how to study and learning how to work harder and how to, how to be a better teammate, I'm like, man, that would have been great to have found out at 16 rather than, you know, at, you know, 28 or whatever. So hindsight's 2020 though. We all, oh, we all have, that. we all have hindsight. some version of that. Hindsight 2020 for, <laughs> for sure. Um, well, so let's, let's dive into the taboo stuff. Like obviously the sure. whole topic is a little taboo, mm -hmm. but like, I'm very intrigued about a few things mentioned. Well, oh. intrigued is not a good word. I know suicidal ideations are a very real thing. These depressive fantasies, mm -hmm. because I've had them. And this is the, I guess, the really taboo part is like, I never thought I would share these out loud with anyone, right? And then I kind of want to talk about what depression looks like on a daily basis. Because I struggle, I still struggle pretty bad with depression. And I'm so ashamed. I don't let people into my apartment because it, frankly, it's disgusting. Like I stopped taking care of myself. And I think I need to admit these things out loud. And so let's let's talk about all this crap I just said. Sure, absolutely. I think, I mean, I do the exact same thing. Like I would not let people into my apartment. Food's a big thing for me. Like I, you know, I'll eat 
you know, I, I, I've always joked, like some people eat because they need to eat to stay alive. And I literally, I live to eat. And so it's like, I'm happy. Let's eat something. I'm sad. Let's eat something. And it's like, I, I go crazy. And so, yeah, I would have like, my apartment would be a disaster. I would not fold laundry, put laundry away. I would not clean the bathroom. I would have all kinds of like fast food wrappers and everything. And again, I, I would refuse to let people in, literally physically refuse to let people into my life. So I can definitely uh, relate to that one, unfortunately. And, and I do a lot of, I don't know about you, like I've always been a daydreamer. What, even when, thinking back to when I was a kid, I would lay in bed before I could fall asleep at night. And instead of just, like, I don't know what other people do when they just shut their eyes and, and go to bed at night, but I would just like fantasize and daydream almost like, I don't know if you ever watched the, the show Scrubs, but the main character JD is always having these crazy fantasies and daydreams. And I felt like that was kind of me as a kid where I would daydream about, you know, being the, the, the guy who helps win the Super Bowl for the Browns. I'm a Browns fan. And so for anybody out there listening who cares about football, you know how terrible that is because it's almost always painful. But yeah, I would just, you know, I, I would be a football player trying to win the Super Bowl or I, I was, I'm a big Harry Potter geek. And so like when I would read the Harry Potter books, I would like daydream about like inserting myself into these things. And I was always kind of drifting off into fantasy land. And as I got older, I found like it got harder and harder for me to fall asleep at night. And so I, I need to do something to distract myself. I've gotten really into like random YouTube binges where like, I'll just watch something that's like really repetitive or simple. There's this guy I like watching He's uh, in Scotland and I love his accent and he's a hoof trimmer. He, tri he trims cow hooves. And like I found I'm learning about trimming cow hooves because it's just something obscure. And I like the way the guy's voice sounds. And it's just something to kind of rather than being alone with my own thoughts, sometimes I'd rather just watch that and fall asleep doing that. All right. So I went down a rabbit hole and I Googled Scottish hoof trimmer on youtube and i found this guy and i'm assuming it's the same one he's called the hoof gp and i just wasted a whole lot of time watching cow hooves get trimmed and these poor little babies like some of them have some real problems and they're just walking around in pain anyways it's very addicting highly recommend and yeah his accent is awesome easy peasy lemon squeezy there's a lot of like little things i do to try to avoid being alone in my own head which is a scary thought sometimes is that if I don't have my phone with me, it's like, oh God, if I don't have Twitter or some YouTube video or something to distract myself with, oh God, I have to be alone with myself. And uh, I don't like, yeah, like you, I don't like admitting out loud that it's sometimes the hardest person to be with is myself. And that is a hundred percent true. It's, it's, it sucks. <laughs> it sucks that that happens sometimes. I totally get what you mean. I don't know if I necessarily daydream besides the Harry Potter one that hits pretty mm. true for me too, but yeah. like how, how can you not? I, I read a lot of manga, like an unhealthy mm -hmm. amount of manga, an unhealthy amount of cheesy like romance manga. And mm -hmm. I just, at first I like put myself in those situations, but now I just like, I just try to remove myself from the world, this world, not necessarily mm -hmm. place myself there. I just want to be distracted as much as possible my dishes are my least favorite thing they'll be the first thing to pile up if I'm overwhelmed mm -hmm. and I just I don't like dealing with food very much like I like eating it but I try not to have leftovers because they'll sit in my fridge until they're disgusting like I have thrown out Tupperware just because I don't want to deal with the stuff inside. I have done that too I've been so yeah. overwhelmed by the idea of like I don't even want to wash this thing it's so gross that I literally I'm just like 
I'm just going to throw the whole thing away. Yeah. Like the amount of meal prep containers that I have tossed just because I'm like, no, yeah, th- this is a little out, out absurd. And then I, another thing, this is more of the anxiety part of me. I think I tear out my hair and yeah. Oh, see, okay. Ryan has a mustache. He's just, I've got, I've got a beard and I, I like, you could tell if I'm stressed cause I start plucking out some of my mustache hairs. Yeah, but it's bad. Like I leave like a trail wherever I go. But now it's gotten to the point where I've given myself, and I don't know if this was me, like I started this, but I'm actually losing my hair now, not mm. not by my own means, which is very cute for, you know, like a, a single 27-year-old girl <laughs> is to be balding in the back of your head. And that's something I don't like admitting. It's almost like an obsessive habit just to not be present in my own life. Especially lately, I've been job searching all this stuff and I tie my worth to things that I should not tie my worth to. I mean, at least it's not men anymore, but jobs and success is also not where it should be. Right. No, I know. It's, how funny is it? And, and funny is probably not the right word. How sad is it too? That like when, if you're, if you're meeting someone for the first time and it's like, tell me something about yourself. So many people start with some version of what they do for a living. It's like, what you do for a living and how you make money to live is, yeah, that's a part of you, but that's not like my, my biggest defining characteristics. I don't want them to be my job necessarily. How I make money and how I put a roof over my head is just a part of life. But I've also never really been someone who like some people, I know some people who legitimately love to work. They can't stop working. And maybe some people it's because they live, they genuinely love what they're doing. And some people, maybe that's their version of, you know, distraction and avoiding behavior. But like I've just never defaulted to, hey, who are you? Tell me about yourself to then jump right into what I do for work. I'd rather tell you about like what gets me excited. Like I want to know like what what gets you all jazzed up? What gets your blood pumping? What makes you really excited? Where, when are you the happiest? Or what are you doing when you're the most carefree? Those are the things I want to know when I'm meeting somebody for the first time. Not like, yeah, I'm an accountant or I work in student affairs or whatever the thing may be. You know, a lot of people don't really dig that because I... I'm not very good with small talk, and that's generally the stuff I like to know too. I like watching people's faces light up when they talk about what they're passionate about. Everyone has one thing, and it's just the tone of their voice changes. It's how I talk about my cat, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, it's very interesting because I know that I tie a lot of my, my worth onto my job, and now after talking to you, this is probably an avoidance behavior. I really need to start therapy again in general. I have thought before, I was like, what happens when I reach my goal? What happens if I achieve this weird society influenced idea of success I have in my mind? What happens then? Will I ever be satisfied? satisfied. How am I going to view myself, you know, after that fact? I mean, honestly, probably not, you know, again, this is definitely coming from a, a place of, uh, you know, privilege in that, like, I, I am financially secure, you know, the, the whole notion of like money doesn't buy happiness. I think over a certain point it can, but if you have a hard time, like paying for medications or paying for, you know, safe and, and secure housing, like that's a whole nother can of worms, but like at a certain point, you're right. Like, is there a dollar amount? Like if you were to magically get a raise at work tomorrow, and it's the dollar amount that you've always called successful money in your head. Will you just, will all of your problems just magically go away? Some of them might, because maybe it helps you pay for life's necessities easier than normal. But at a, at a certain point in time, like, 
what's next. You know, I, I feel like a lot of people end up looking for the next thing. You chase something so hard. I, heck, I did that with, with, with that ex of mine. We split up for a while and then I saw her starting to move on with life and immediately got scared and jealous. I was like, oh my God, no, we have to get back together. And we eventually did. And then we got back together and I was like, oh, no, I didn't like her. I liked the idea of her. I didn't like the idea of her moving on. You know what I mean? Like super yeah. toxic crap, but like how many times do we chase things thinking it's what we want to the second you get it? You're like, Oh, I liked the hunt more than the thing itself. Or I liked the idea of the thing I've done this before with, I, so again, I mentioned, I grew up a boy scout. And so like I've camped and hiked plenty. I still like being outdoors, but I've gone back and forth on the idea of uh, hiking the Appalachian trail a million different times. At one point I started planning out a trek and then I kind of realized I went on like a really long hike the one day and I was like, I don't think I like this as much as I think I do. I think I like the idea of telling people I'm going to do this big, cool thing. I like the idea of being one out of, I think it's like 25% of people who start it actually even finish it. I like the idea of being part of this elite group, but I don't actually like the hiking as much as I claim to. <laughs> like, why am I spending all this time and effort and money thinking about something that I, I don't think I want to do the thing. I think I want to tell people that I did the thing. And that is kind of silly <laughs> to, be, to say the no, least. No, I, I feel that. It's, I don't know. You're engaged. I'm, I'm <laughs> definitely not. But it's weird. When I think about the things I like, when people ask me if I like the outdoors, it's like, yes. I haven't been camping in forever. I like small hikes. But at the end of the day, I don't want to climb a mountain. And so, but I, I feel like I hide those things. And I sometimes just tell people what, they want to hear because, well, I mean, I'm courting them or vice versa, mm -hmm. whatever. It's weird, but I do love to kayak. I will, I will stand behind that one and I would go on go. many a kayak voyages, but no, I definitely understand that. It's, it's weird. Cause yeah, like you said, like, who, who am I doing this for? All right. So I asked Ryan at this point, what his Enneagram type was. We are both type fours, which is like individualist romantic is the two words you subscribe. Um, and we just had a conversation about it. Um, but I think there was one really good main point that I feel is worth discussing um, and contributes to the episode. It's like you always, you have to be different. You have to be unique. You have to hit those, you know, those rare statistics. And it's weird because getting back into those depressive fantasies, it's almost like even if you were to get diagnosed with something, you were one in however many people. And that almost makes you feel special in a very yes. twisted way. Yeah. And think. I, you were actually correct. I found, I was looking in my phone for screenshots and I found this, I, I did this back in March and it looks like I am most likely a type four. Look at you. I knew it. I was but, like, uh, I identify with this so much, <laughs> like having to be the best at things and like, yeah. Because that's something I do. Even if it's just like a small thing I get interested in, I automatically then have to be the best at it. I was a horrible perfectionist at one point. I've gotten a lot mm -hmm. better with those things. But as far as like, I'm a pretty odd person. and I But I pride myself in that, right? Like mm -hmm. I pride myself in being like pretty well-rounded and like having these interests all across the board. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of feel weird talking about it. Like I said, it's, I don't, now I feel arrogant. I don't know. Tell no, stuff, man. Yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you mean, though. And it's, I think, something you mentioned, again, going back to, like, the the really, like, toxic daydreaming or weird, like, doom scenarios. Because, again, yeah, it's like, if something bad happens to me, if I 
lose a loved one or fall ill with something or whatever. Again, it's terrible, but it's this weird amount of attention. It's like, let's just say if I get some kind of disease, either I'm going to beat it and it's going to be some big hurrah moment and it's going to be, you know, inspirational and all that crap, or I'm going to die from it. I'm going to have this big funeral where everyone says nice things. You know what I mean? So it's like, how crazy is it that I'm talking about like getting gravely ill and in my head, there's different scenarios in which it's still a win-win situation. Yeah. Because I mean, if you die, that's kind of what you want anyway, but if you beat it, that is just another special thing to add on to your identity. Yeah. This is kind of fucked up. I'm not going to lie. No, it's, it's, it's awful. It is insane. I just can't believe (laughs) that we're actually talking about this out loud. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's like you mentioned earlier too. It's like, there's a lot of this stuff that I don't think I've ever really said out loud and it, or, or certainly at least outside of maybe a very small collective of people. It's messed up and shameful. Yeah. But you know what? I bet you, if you talk to more people, it would be reluctant, but I bet you reluctantly people would, more people would admit to some version of this than, than we would realize. And maybe it's not everybody because this is kind of crazy, but very we curious. absolutely cannot be alone. There's no way. No. Well, if the two of us, and like, I have like a grand total of like seven friends. And if one right. of them like has this, like maybe it's two and seven, like, yeah, I don't you know. Never know. Yeah. Maybe. Well, I mean, that's kind of what this podcast is about, right? It's like, yeah talking about these things so people know that they're not alone but this mm-hmm. is something I definitely didn't expect because like I said these are these are the things that I wouldn't share with people because they're so fucked they're they're messed up well and you know what's funny too is then so like when I'm done feeling whatever the bad thing is or when I'm done having that terrible crazy daydream as I start to kind of come out of it then I start to do this sense of like shame and in, in, in guilt almost, because it's like, I've had an extremely lucky life. Everywhere I've been has been financially secure. I've had access to just about anything that I've ever needed and frankly wanted. Like I've, I've been very blessed and very fortunate in so many regards. And then I'm like, what the hell do you have to be sad about? Why, like what on earth like is going on that would ever lead me to think that this is like, okay. Like I, you know, like some people have had such rough lives and the amount of privilege that I enjoy is really kind of off the charts. And so then I start to feel guilty for being depressed and stressed out and bummed out about what is oftentimes very hard to pinpoint and articulate. And so then it's like a, it's like a double whammy. It's like, I go through this really crazy, shitty, depressive episode and then I come out of it. I'm like, okay, I feel better but then I feel guilty for even being depressed in the first place. And I'm like, damn it, I feel shitty again. <laughs> and it's just like, it's like, how dumb is that? I, I had an employee who, you know, white male, grew up pretty well off, who got really depressed all the time. And like, he didn't have a particular reason why. And he always felt so guilty about it. And he wouldn't talk to anyone about it because his two best friends, like one had just recently lost their father and one has always had a really bad relationship with their father. And he was like, I have everything. And, you know, I try to tell them that it is important to acknowledge your privilege and the opportunities you've been given, but mental health does not discriminate. You know, that affects everyone and it shouldn't be a comparison game because the people that care about you, you know, they're going to listen. And like I said, depression is one of those fickle things. Sometimes it just doesn't you don't have a reason you feel that way. 
That was actually going to be my follow-up question when I asked you, like, is, do you have a reason? Do you not have a reason? Because I, I understand the guilt, just having all these opportunities and still feeling this way. It makes no sense, but your brain chemicals are just going bananas. Yeah. It's one of the things I was really thankful for, for the guys in, in that group therapy I did. It was a men's group when I was in college, like I talked about earlier. And I was super thankful for those guys because there were, again, looking around the room, there was a bunch of guys who were in terrible, terrible situations and on paper had drastically worse situations than me, but not a single one of them, like it all made me feel any kind of bad or guilty about it. They were all like, Hey dude, been there before, you know, like whether it was, you know, girl trouble or this out of the other, or, you know, just generic life stresses. They're like, no, your stuff is just as valid and real and you're welcome to be a part of this group. And no, like it was, that was one of the, I think that was probably one of the turning points where I was like, Oh, like all of these guys are definitely validating, you know, me and all my crap. Um, even though they've been through a lot worse stuff, no one ever like tried to one up one another or make a, make, make, make the other guys feel like crap for having something that on paper looks better or worse in terms of like reasons to be feeling down. I, yeah. And I, I wish that that was like the attitude among everybody, you know, Mm -hmm. just because like I said, mental health, it really doesn't discriminate whatsoever. But I think, I mean, just the current climate that we live in, it's, it's hard to acknowledge struggles when you have everything else going for you, you know, and a lot of people will welcome you with open arms. Some of them won't, but I think the majority probably would. Cause I mean, at the end of the day, they all like, if they they've gone through worse, they know how it feels. And I mean, that, 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 that kind of empathy goes a long way. It's like, I might not have gone through exactly through your situation per se, but like trying to put myself in your, in your shoes and trying to think about what it could feel like from your perspective is that's, um, that's a powerful thing for, for whether it be a, a good friend, a family member, a random acquaintance, just for, for anybody to kind of show you that kind of empathy and a little bit of grace. Like it goes a long way. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree. I think it's, I think it's more needed in the world and it's probably also not as rare as I think it is. Be, you know, people don't talk about these things. So right, like actually right. finding those people, that's why group therapy, I, I've never done it myself. I probably should at some point to just tackle different things, but I've heard that's definitely one of the benefits. Yeah. I hated the idea of going in. I went extremely reluctantly kicking and screaming. <laughs> I, I point to that as truly a life-saving um, experience. Who, who knows? how the rest of that year goes, uh, if I didn't do that. So that was, um, that was, that was, that was powerful stuff. I like that. Plus it was like, for me, again, it was just another way to build routine around. And again, knowing what I know now about myself, that was also something that was kind of important that I didn't realize. I, I, I'm a creature of habit and when I'm on point, I feel really good about damn near everything. And then when, when I fall off, that's when things struggle. So that's my next challenge is, is not letting things completely unravel if I do have a sidestep or a backtrack um, is, you know, things don't have to be perfect. You can screw stuff up and then get right back on the horse. But, you know, easier said than done. Yeah. Here's a question for you. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm like asking all the hard stuff. No, um, that's, that's, that's the point, right? Fire away. Because I, so I know this rings true of me. 
sometimes I deny myself things because I feel like I'm not good enough. A micro example of this would be when I played tennis in high school and if I missed a shot or I lost a game, I wouldn't get water in between games. Mm. I just told myself, no. Like water was like this reward. Messed up behavior, hydration is important. Now though, on a more macro level, so because I've struggled with mental health things for a while and because I feel like my, my depression is bad sometimes. And, you know, I dated someone who didn't really understand those complexities and called me very childish and the relationship dynamics. He just used to tell me like, you know, it shouldn't be like a parent child things. And it was never to that point, but I like got this idea in my head that I couldn't be in a relationship you know, if I still struggled with these things and I couldn't, and I, I still struggle with that. Like when I meet people, I do my best to make sure that they do not know that I have mental health issues for as long as possible. Um, right. Not that, you know, <laughs> been a hot minute since I've actually tried, but that's something that I, I struggle with is like still having depression, um, but allowing myself grace and love and I know it probably starts with just making that decision to allow yourself grace and love but how how did you kind of if you have felt this way how did you kind of cope and overcome that yeah I definitely I feel like I did some versions of that over the years in terms of like I would like isolate a lot like it's I would have a mountain of stuff to get done and I'd be stressed out about it And I would deny myself the opportunity to go grab a coffee with a friend or a drink with a friend or whatever, a reasonable 30, 45 minute break because I needed to get stuff done. But then I'd sit in my office or my apartment and do nothing productive because I'd be so overwhelmed and I would just doom spiral. So I definitely would like deny myself contact with other people. I would isolate pretty hard. I think in terms of dating, I did, I I would say like, I got pretty comfortable saying, Hey, I'm kind of a hot mess sometimes. And that's okay. And like, this is part of who I am. It doesn't necessarily define me. And um, Jen, you know, my, my fiance, she, she and I were both pretty communicative from the beginning about, because she deals with her own version of things, just like everybody else and has been through some stuff. And I, we were pretty straight up early on. In fact, I think frankly, it might be one of the reasons why we work, you know, kind of well is that we, instead of trying to bury that down and and kick that can down the road until it absolutely has to be discussed, we started, we're just like, Hey, we just like threw it all on the table. (laughs) It was like, here's, here's who I am. Here's who you are. It's definitely not all. At this point, I think Ryan says sunshine and rainbows, but his audio cut off a little bit. And I appreciate that about her because she and I were both able to admit both for ourselves and for the other person. Cause it's, it's hard. Like you, you mentioned it earlier too. It's like dating ends up feeling like a job interview and whether it's dating or interviewing for a job, if you don't come in with your authentic self, it's going to come out eventually. And whether it be you're six months into dating somebody or you're six months into a job, when you start to fatigue and become the more real authentic you, everybody starts to get, you know, bummed out and disappointed. Your partner's like, this isn't the person who I thought they were. The the work is like, this is not the person we hired. What's going on? You might not like it. Like if you don't like the culture at the institution, or if you don't like the, the way that this person acts or treats you, but you're, you're so focused on, well, I need to get the job or I need to get the person. 
Um, I'll do, cause I've done that a lot. I have said and done, I'll be an amoeba or I'll, I'll, I'll be like, I'll be whatever you need me to be. I'll say what I have to say, uh, or I'll be whoever I need to be. It, it almost always ends up becoming exhausting and impossible to maintain forever. And then things fall apart. So after just doing that for so many times, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to get to the point where I'm just going to be more me from the get. Um, and if they like me, okay. And if they don't, fine. And that part always sucked. I'd love to pretend like I got to a point where I flipped a switch and was saying, hey, this is who I am and love me or hate me. That's fine. I, it was not fine. I was devastated every time I was a little bit my authentic self and somebody was like, okay, no, I don't want that. I'm out. <laughs> but uh, I was fortunate that I eventually found someone who uh, who was okay with it to stick around. So, An angel. Yes. Yeah, she really is. She is, she is. I'm extremely lucky. And I, like, I know these things. I've gotten a lot, lot better at it. I don't think it shows up like in a work setting though, cause I'm very outspoken. I rock the boat a lot. I'm kind of known for it. It's not the best thing, but I'm fine with it. Cause it's all for good reasons, mm-hmm. but definitely the relationship thing. And it's weird because I'm really big into authenticity and oh, gosh, this conversation is making me think a lot. Because I feel like it is my authentic self. It's just like all the best parts of me on constant right. display. Right. You know, they don't they don't see the lows off the bat. Kind of like you're not like making up things necessarily by yourself. You're just almost like lying by omission. You're not you're not making stuff yeah. up. You're just leaving details out. Yeah. Because uh, but this is like I've always been a private person. Like. I mean, mm-hmm. this, this interview might shock some of my friends even like, cause it, it takes me a lot, unless like I'm an open book, you can ask me whatever you want. I'll tell you my whole life story. But when it comes to like actually being open about the state that I am in, like currently my emotional mm-hmm. state, that's not easy for me, even among the people I'm close with. And so with a stranger that just feels so weird, but maybe I'll just change my entire approach to dating. Yeah, there you go. Just overnight. Just change it all. Well, I try to conduct a social (laughs) experiment on a dating app where I put all horrible photos of me, you know, that people have tagged me and then I'm like, wow, thank you. That's so (laughs) flattering. Thank you for that one. (laughs) So I put all of that. And then in my bio, I think I put, you know, like I struggle with mental health issues. I am looking for a job. I am don't make a lot of money, nor am I very financially responsible. <laughs> it was not very, it was not a hit. Let me tell you. You don't say. <laughs> and then I think people thought it was a joke. And I was like, no, I'm just trying to find the nice ones. Right. Well, yeah. It's like, if you can find someone that sees through, you know, maybe not the most flattering photo or says like, Hey, I appreciate the authenticity. But again, it's, it's tough because, you know, I've done some dating app stuff in the past as well. And you know, to mixed, <laughs> mixed reviews and mixed success, mostly lack of success, but those apps are crazy. Cause it's, it's like you're, you're internet shopping for a human. Yeah. You know? Oh like no. It, it absolutely makes these human beings that have lived equally as complex and complicated lives. It makes them disposable. I really don't like it. I don't yeah. like them at all. I can only stay yeah. on one for like two weeks and I'm like all right and I'm done and then I get uh, bored two weeks later yeah. and it's like oh, then I just want cuddles and I'm just like oh my god I'm still on the search for a little spoon and yeah that's right a little spoon because I love being a big spoon sue me yeah 
No, it's that's interesting because I I I can completely relate. I remember I made one of the things I was and self conscious about with the dating app game is I'm not I'm like very average height. I'm like five eight ish. So like, I'm not sure, but I'm definitely not the tallest guy. And so like, I remember I did a little experiment, same thing where I put in my height. Cause I know a lot of people are like, Oh, like I want, you know, somebody six, six foot, six, one, six, two. And so I just was like, yeah, I'm not the tallest guy in the world, but you know, I am who I am. And I had literally, it was almost like overnight. I was like, are people on this app anymore? I noticed it instantly. And I was like, well, maybe I'll take that detail out. And I took the height out and guess what? I went right back to getting matches. Like it was it was, That's again, crazy. A, a fun little social experiment. And again, it's like, I'm not even that particularly short and I don't really even care all that much. I, I would date someone taller than me, but I feel again, like another social cultural norm is that's for whatever reason, a taboo thing. Like, God no, forbid. Oh, you're right. Like, uh, yeah. like shorter men are perceived by society as like less capable, less attractive, less competent yeah. when really or, like None of those things are actually true. No. Um, or the same thing with like very tall women. It's like I, I've known people and I'm sure you have too, where like guys would want their their partner to not wear heels because they'd be that much taller. And I'm like, I don't know, wear heels. If you want to wear, if you, if you like them, wear them, rock them, like go nuts. Like yeah. for all my insecurities, for whatever reason, that's actually not been one that's bothered me all that much. So that's, there's, there's, there's one for the win column. <laughs> it's weird. Cause I've dated shorter guys and none of them have said that. However, I did match with someone like a couple weeks ago who was five, three, mm-hmm. um, because I don't really care about height because of what I just said. Like, I know this is how society perceives shorter men. And frankly, I don't want to buy into that. Like if I am truly a body positive person and I can say that about myself, that is going to be a consistent thing. That in addition to the fact that I am 5'9 and taller than your average male. And I had a guy, the 5'3 one we matched and he, he thought that I was there to like mess with him. Like he thought that I, yeah, and uh, like, first off, I got very offended because uh, I'm really big on integrity and my character. And that's just not something I would do. And then it's just like, I, this is obviously coming from somewhere. Like, I Mm -hmm. feel so bad that like his first instinct is this isn't real, you know, or that I'm about to be mean to him. Like, what have people said to him? Oh, anyway, this has nothing to do with this, but yeah. No, I know, I know what you mean, though. That's that sucks. That's odd. It's it's terrible. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we covered a lot of ground. Is there anything yes. else that you think is like super taboo? Super taboo. Like, I mean, we covered. Like I said, like I we covered the weird ass depressive fantasies. Yeah, which like I'm that's... so glad I'm not alone in. But that is by far, yeah. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I don't often publicly share with folks is like how often I would or even still do because I still do this, you know, it's better these days for sure, but I still do this. Absolutely. Like the the frequency with which I would try to mentally check out of whatever environment I was ever a part of. Um, And so, you know, hopefully other people can relate to that and and feel less (laughs) less crazy because it's, it sucks. And I, I hope that you're no, you know, not in that kind of place for much longer, but um, absolutely not alone in that, in that fact. I'm trying to think those are, I mean, that's really kind of, that's probably it. There's yeah. going to be the second, the second we wrap this up and be like, damn, I thought of like some brilliant thing, poignant, yeah, okay. beautiful thing to say. <laughs> you, you know me, like you can always contact me. Sure. Uh, we didn't 
jump too far into suicidal ideations, but mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if that's super necessary, you know? I mean, they come I, I from, don't... they come from the places that we've talked about. Yeah. It's, yeah. uh, I'm thankful that I never actively tried anything. I definitely got close, you know, a couple of times back, back in college and, and that was pretty horrible. And, uh, you know, one thing I, I will say though, and it's, it's, it's obviously really heavy and it's not something that I would just like jump into a conversation with a stranger and just volunteer immediately. But I have shared some of that with people in the past, whether it be RAs that used to work for me. Cause so we, 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 you touched on it briefly. I used to work in student affairs. I worked in housing, residence life and housing for a little bit and then advising. And so with some of my previous student staff members, I, I did share some of those more personal details and it's one of those things where it's awful and I wouldn't wish any of that on my worst enemy. But what I am really thankful for is that in the couple times that I've shared this stuff with folks, it's been incredibly powerful and in helping them with whatever thing they're going through. Cause you know, to one, I'm thinking of one young woman in particular and I shared this stuff with her and she got really upset and she was like, I thought you had it all together and this, that, and the other. And you're like, you're my boss and I respect you and this, that, and the other. And I can't believe you've ever, you, you did. I was like, I'm like, yeah, like this is how people are. We all have some kind of baggage that we hide deep yeah. down. And, you know, hopefully by having a conversation kind of like that, we were able to, again, reduce some stigma, help her feel less alone, all that stuff. We were able to get her, get her some help and things really turned around and it was really awesome. So it's one of those things where when you can start talking about this stuff, especially with the really ugly, scary stuff, because I feel like a lot of people shy away from talking about suicide because they don't want to, you know, they don't want to helping, you don't want to give anybody that idea or you don't want to talk about it because you're afraid of what it might lead to. And you know, I don't talk about any of it lightly and I don't, I don't throw it around cavalier, but like, I don't know, there's something about like when you've had such shitty lows, you know, it's almost you know, kind of cathartic to talk about it after the fact, be like, yeah, been there yeah it was awful it's hell no i totally <laughs> yeah. agree 10 out of 10 do not recommend <laughs> i mean that's the whole point of this podcast like yeah. literally the whole point is to have these conversations because people don't talk about them and you know that that student that you mentioned like i remember that feeling like looking at my bosses like they had everything together or like oh hell gosh. the perception of anybody older than me mm-hmm. and to real like to realize these people don't I think is a really powerful thing um I'm obviously I'm very open to talk about things mm-hmm. suicide in particular like um it's actually kind of weird like because when you were talking earlier that you don't like to drive because you know there's something big and heavier than your car mm-hmm. um that's actually how I less, lost my best friend when I was 19 mm-hmm. he did that exact thing um and I have a tattoo of his handwriting, something he wrote me. And so when people ask me about my tattoos, it gives me, you know, a chance to kind of tell that story. Obviously that story definitely does not have a happy ending, but you know, it's important to know that it happens. People aren't alone because then I also talk about my own struggles with it. Um, And it's very interesting because I know how that felt to lose someone at their own hand. And I think that out of anything like when I've had ideation since that point that is the thing that stops me is because I wouldn't want like my parents to feel that way because I I was messed up for a hot second but um I think there's a difference between talking about it and like having a conversation and making it known that like other people struggle with it 
versus there was that Netflix series. I can't remember the thir- Is it 13 reasons why? I believe so. Yeah. Which I understand. I read the book and I understand the goal of it. Like, you know, to show these things, I think that they showed far too much Mm. um, because there was such a high spike in suicide rates. Like there's a difference between, you know, having conversations one-on-one with interpersonal experiences versus like mass publicity and romanticizing of it. Um, I watched, I watched the first season. I didn't watch the second season, but I also heard that they showed some pretty horrific stuff. And I mean, like I said, there's a difference between giving people the ideas and, as I said, romanticizing it than having having these conversations. So, yeah, no, I uh, I never watched it either, and uh, I don't know if I was I didn't I don't think I ever actively stayed away because of you know any of my own thoughts or past or whatever. I just I just don't think I ever watched it just because on principle it's like I don't know if this is something I want to spend my time on. Yeah, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, but Brian, I appreciate you joining me yeah, and sharing. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on. And it's I always love chatting about these kind of things. I really do. It sounds kind of morbid and dark, but like I, again, I, I enjoy these kind of in-depth, like these are conversations of substance. They might not always be sunshine and rainbows and nice and easy, but uh, there's real substance there. And I'm also just stoked because I'm happy to be a part of your, uh, your podcast. So thank you for having thank me. Thank you. Um, yeah. we'll do a little plug for you. I can edit this out if you don't want to be tied to this episode. Sure. However, okay. you also host a podcast. Yeah. Do you want to I talk do. a it's, little bit about that? Absolutely. I, I will fully admit, I don't know how many, um, of your listeners would be interested because it is sort of Cleveland themed, but it's called living off the land. Um, it is, uh, pretty much an all things Cleveland podcast. So we start every episode with like a local beer uh, we do a little beer of the week type review. We talk about it. And then we do a little catch up on things that are happening. We do some national stuff as well. If there's like a big thing nationally, do a little local catch up on what's happened um, like in the area at that point in time. And then we'll talk about whatever kind of, a lot of sports. Now that we're kind of coming out of COVID, there's definitely um, more like concerts and festivals and, and, and culinary things. So it's, we try to be all things Cleveland admittedly for the past year. Or so it's been a lot of the beer and a lot of the sports because that's kind of all that was yeah, happening for a going while. On. Um, but yeah, if, if you're interested in following us, we're on, on all social media. Uh, the handle is going to be uh, the L O T L podcast. So easy to find. Uh, I appreciate the plug. Thank you for that. Yeah. Anytime and, you've said yeah. my name on that podcast, like we have three a, times, a, a couple different times, at least. All right. So that kind of wraps up episode one of taboo topics. Obviously a lot of heavy stuff was talked about. A lot of shame was admitted and, but overall it was a very open conversation and that really is my goal. But Just to throw some resources at you if you do feel affected by any of these things or if you felt triggered by anything, there is a National Suicide Prevention Hotline. It is 1-800-273-8255. That is in English and Spanish. If you have phone apprehension and you don't really want to call, you can text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741741 to connect with a crisis counselor and that can be they handle everything from 
anxiety, depression, eating disorders, um, even COVID-19 effects. And yeah, so also reach out if you have a therapist or counselor to talk to. Um, always a wonderful idea. Um, but if you don't have those resources, then please utilize the two things that I mentioned earlier. And yes, thank you. Thank you so, so much for listening. It was uh, definitely a podcast episode of admittance. Um, what, a, what a time to be alive. So I do actually have an Instagram for this podcast if you want to follow it and just stay up to date. Uh, it's called Taboo Topics Podcast on Insta, all one word. Please give us a follow. Hopefully, I'll have more updates. We are supposed to be updating episodes every Tuesday. So, Taboo Tuesdays, hashtag Taboo Tuesdays. And, yeah, thank you so much for tuning in. Special thanks goes out to two of my friends from high school, Christy and Ben, who are listening to these episodes ahead of time and letting me know if they suck or not appreciate both of you and also my friend Johannes who gave me a audio editing software and so now I can bring this podcast to you and I will see you next episode and remember of course the most important thing stay uncomfy my boo things So at the end of my teaser, I did a secret after the credits, and that is something that I modeled after my favorite podcast, so I'm not taking credit for it, but I'm going to start doing it because I really like it. So this is it's hard to admit, but I tell people that my first concert was Blink-22 and My Chemical Romance. In truth, that was the first concert that I went to that really mattered to me. I had been to one before that, and in junior high, I was asked to go by one of my friends. So my very first concert was actually the Jonas Brothers. And in my defense, I hadn't listened to a Jonas Brothers song since, nor have I after, at least the trio, because who doesn't love Cake by the Ocean? So yes, my first concert was the Jonas Brothers and not Blink-Way 2.